0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Monday, September 26, 2016 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. This is not the Super Bowl. I am not at the Super Bowl. I'm at the presidential debate at Hofstra. And here are some reasons why I am not at the Super Bowl. I've been to five Super Bowls. I've been to five of the top eight most watched Super Bowls. Best Watch Super Bowl got 115 million viewers. This is going to get over 80 million, but 80 is not 115. Two, let's look at the ad rates. The ads you know, it's estimated that this event will get $225,000 for 30 seconds, which is a lot of money for the cable stations that air it and the networks that air it. Super Bowl, do you know what they get for 30 seconds? Six million. So it's kind of an apples to pigskin comparison because there are many networks airing this debate and they will be selling ads before and right after, not during. So it's fewer ads. It's over many networks, but still. They're not going to add up all the ad dollars from this debate. It's not going to be as lucrative as the Super Bowl. Here's a third reason why this isn't the Super Bowl and won't be as watched as the Super Bowl. Because the Super Bowl doesn't go up against football. This is going up against football, weirdly. And Monday Night Football is going to cut into this, though this is going to cut into Monday Night Football more. And I'll tell you what else. Here at Hofstra, they have something they would never have at a Super Bowl. A free beer tent for members of the media. They would never allow sports reporters to get at the free beer. It is a major difference. The sober-minded political press can be trusted to be just that. But now the real reason. When the Super Bowl is over, there is a winner, a champion, a winner, not a spinner. This will not happen tonight. There are many ways to consider who won or judge who won a Super Bowl or any football contest, which team scored the most. That's what I go by. You could also go by which team limited its opponent to the fewest. Totally bona fide way of going about that. But there's no ambiguity. These debates, politics, it's as if it were football, but there were no empirical markers. There were no downs, there was no yards, there's certainly no scores. There are plays, but then every fan base gets to decide if it was a good play or a bad play. And even when the quarterback gets sacked, you could say, well, he could have fumbled, it could have been by more. New York Times television reporter James Ponowazek had this great phrase that I want to come back to. And this is the real reason why this debate isn't like the Super Bowl. It won't be the Super Bowl. He was pointing out, is reviewing a PBS series, and he was pointing out that Trump and Clinton aren't just two opposing candidates with different worldviews. They're appealing to audiences occupying two different psychic spaces, two different psychic spaces. So neither side can win convincingly. You're never going to win more than 60% of the vote because 40% of America just does not occupy your psychic space. But just as Hillary Rodham Clinton holds all the edges in demographics, in the electoral map. I think she has a natural advantage in the psychic space that she's playing for. Now, people will accuse me of not understanding the rest of angry America, but I'm not going by my hopes or what I think that American ideals should be. I'm just going by polls. I'm going by surveys. I think after tonight, two candidates side by side, more fair-minded, reasonable people will come away with the impression that one of these candidates should be president, and that, I believe, will be Hillary Clinton because of the psychic mind space that slightly more Americans occupy. I think Hillary Clinton will demonstrate more mastery of the issues. I think she will convey them better, and I've got to think she's less likely to have a meltdown, though we don't need a meltdown. We just need for the impression of the fair-minded, reasonable Americans to be, yeah, she would be the better president. Now. The instinct is to say, if I was a wise guy listening to this, I would say, yeah, you really think most Americans are fair-minded and reasonable? No, I'm not even saying that. I just think more are in general than aren't. When you add up the people that won't come out to the polls and you add up the people who are maybe too young to vote or you add up the people who are going to waste their time and throw away their votes on a third party. I think Hillary Clinton's going to get more fair-minded, reasonable people who think that she'd be the better president. That is my huge election and debate analysis. She'll convey to the fair-minded and the reasonable that she is both of those things. Another way to look at it is this. That what Hillary has to do is mostly what she has done in every debate during this election and even mostly during every debate in 2008. Not the worst 10 to 15% of what she's done, but mostly what she's done is she's gone out there, she's demonstrated issue mastery, she's demonstrated competence, she's demonstrated composer, right? What does Trump have to do? Trump has to do mostly what he didn't do in every debate thus far. That's shtick, that's zingers, that's assertion, that's waiting for one of the 11 other people on the stage to jump in whenever a policy he doesn't understand comes up. He's got to do something that he's mostly never done. She's got to do stuff that mostly she's done. Let's take the format of the debate. No commercials, no breaks, no way to pause when you don't have anything to say and let someone else who really wants to show their mastery of an issue jump in. Now, of course, there are ways she could screw this up. There are pitfalls. There are potential for pratfalls. Hillary Clinton can sigh or look at her watch, or Donald Trump can invade Hillary's space or mistake a cabinet department. You know, all the gaffes that candidates have committed in past debates. Ever noticed? We ask all the experts, what should they avoid? And they go from this list of all the stuff that someone has done wrong in the past. George H.W. Bush famously checked his watch during his 1992 town hall with Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. And that first televised debate in 1960 always remembered for Richard Nixon's sweat against a crisp and cool JFK. Think about it. Until Al Gore sighed, no one knew sighing was a pitfall. Now you can't see a list of debate don'ts without sighing. But for all those reasons, I do think Hillary will do well side by side with Trump. She'll be challenging him. And think of this. Think of this. This is the most sustained challenge Donald Trump will have ever faced in his life. 90 minutes. He'll be taking heat for about half of it. You can't cut away. You can't wait for Chris to tear into Marco. You can't edit some part of the boardroom conversation. You can't just gallop over an interviewer in a five-minute phone conversation. So that's another challenge for Donald Trump. I'll talk to you all after this debate. And by that, I mean, let's say two or three in the morning. Check your GIST feed. We will be issuing a debate rapid response. Until then, We revert to the debate here at Hofstra four years ago, and we check in with a voter who was undecided back then. Jeremy Epstein's life was turned around, and not just because he was almost a minor character in Portlandia. (laughs) Jeremy Epstein is from North Woodmere on Long Island, and he has something in common with Prince, who is from or was from Minneapolis. Fred Armisen both did excellent impressions of them on Saturday Night Live. Jeremy Epstein came to the fore when he asked a question, the first question in the 2012 debate at Hofstra. Now that the 2016 debated Hofstra is upon us, let's talk to Jeremy. Hello, how are you?
0: Thank you very much. It was never compared to Prince before. Yeah, so no, well, you person. know, it's
1: the Armisen connection. How'd you like that impression?
0: I, was, I liked it. I mean, I'm a little bigger than Fred. I'm 6'3", yeah. but it's, a, it's
1: okay. It's hard. I mean, even if you're a great impressionist, it's hard to add the height, you know? I know. And, and Prince, no, he did a good and job. And Prince I is about 5'3", but... so that shows Armisen yeah. has range. Oh, he's a significant range. I'm never going to get a job. You know, I hear it from everybody. Professors and neighbors and friends and bus drivers, you know. I, I hear it from passersby and, you know, my parents tell me, Jeremy, you lousy so-and-so, you know, you're never going to amount to nothing, you know. Why'd you have to be born? (laughs) Right after that debate, I know that you told media that your mind was made up. Have you ever or would you ever disclose how your mind was made up, who you decided to vote for?
0: Well, I really thought about throughout that election who had the best philosophy for the country. And after the third debate, which was all about foreign policy, um, I really felt that Barack Obama was the best person fit to lead the country in terms of that area. And I think it was imperative for us to give him a full eight years and see if he could really accomplish his vision and kind of change the course of our foreign diplomacy after George Bush's presidency.
1: Good. Your question, though, was about jobs. Did you get one?
0: Um, Currently, I do a few things. I work over at CBS Sports. I log NFL games. I host a radio show for Dunk360.com. And I also work with a guy from the Sugar Hill Gang, a guy named Derek Smalls, who runs a booking agency called MDMST. And what we do is we're putting on um, a bunch of benefit concerts down in South Carolina to raise awareness for domestic violence. That's good. So do
1: you do all these jobs because you can't get one job that you want and you're cobbling it together? Or do you like the eclecticism? You know, is the economy, as relates to Jeremy Epstein, going good enough, would you say?
0: Well, I like having the the, stability freedom because I'm also, it took the LSATs and I'm also considering applying to law school. So I like having the ability to pick and choose and kind of show my own way and make my own decisions. But I would say a full-time job is obviously more appetizing. From what I'm doing right now, from where I'm at and what I'm looking to do in the future, I think what I do now is perfect for me.
1: Now, I know you like politics, so when you asked your question i 'm sure you were aware that both candidates had essentially addressed the jobs issue, so what were you looking for beyond what they had said publicly?
0: Well, I guess what I was looking for was a more concise answer if you if that makes any sense so, because if I had the opportunity to ask a question that I wrote personally and could get in, hopefully i 'd be able to get maybe a different answer out of them, mm-hmm. but the whole process with that works is you wrote four questions and then you submitted them to the moderator who in that case was Candy Crowley and then she picked out of those four the one that you would have the opportunity to ask. So naturally, me being a 20-year-old at the time It would make a lot of sense for her to pick a question regarding jobs for someone in college, especially with the economy where it was at that time.
1: That makes sense. Uh, Just a couple more questions. You know, Candy Crowley came in for some praise and some criticism in that debate for checking facts, essentially, during the debate. This was after your question. But what was your take on that? Do you think that uh, as an undecided voter, what she did helped you?
0: it's kind of important that you don't let the politicians just continue to talk and talk and talk without any consequences if they are wrong. I think what you're referring to is when, um, Mitt Romney said, Barack Obama never used the phrase active terror when he was talking about the Benghazi attack. Yeah. So, If there's an opportunity to correct somebody, if they've made a mistake, I think you should do that. On the other hand, I can see people getting upset if they argue that Candy Crowley was partisan and doing something like that or was in favor of Obama. But I'm pretty sure if Barack Obama made a similar mistake, Candy Crowley would have corrected him as well.
1: But do you remember during the debate when she did that what your reaction was?
0: I remember that after she said it, there was a ton of applause, which the one thing she said not to do was applause. (laughs) I think that those debates were always incredibly heated. Mitt Romney was always talking over the president, trying to get his points across, trying to passionately argue why he was the best fit for the country. And I think if someone's wrong and factually incorrect, I think you do have the right as the moderator to Mm. um, correct them. If you go back to even the first debate, there was the whole criticism that Jim Lehrer wasn't aggressive enough. So you could say maybe she overcompensated, but... You should be able to correct someone if they've made a mistake.
1: As a voter, and this is your second presidential election, do you think debates are the best way to help a voter make up his or her mind?
0: See, that's, I, I'm not really sure about that because they don't really answer the questions. Like, especially with this debate coming up, you have, I have no idea what's going to happen. It could just be a two-hour insult show. Mm-hmm. Like, they just could be attacking each other for a two hours. So it's kind of difficult. There's a lot of rhetoric in politics, especially in this election. So it's, it could always bog down the message instead of actually get what the candidates want across. Jeremy
1: Epstein has at least three jobs and is a former presidential inquisitor. Thank you, Jeremy. All right. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson does not believe Poland is under Soviet domination. Just producer Chris Berube put his producing job in a lockbox. Executive producer of Slate Podcast Steve Lichtai wants to know how the national debt affects your life. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, champions the flexible freeze. It's a deep cut. Look it up. The gist. We can't believe we're losing to this guy. de Peru do peru. And thanks for listening.